The herring said, we want a king. And I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 8. No, I'm not. I'm actually going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15. But I, I wonder, what have we learned from this brief series on 1 Samuel? What challenges, if any, do we get each week? How have we responded to those challenges? And I wonder, as we see the points that come up over the last four, is our relationship with God any different tonight from what it was four weeks ago? You know, every one of us, no matter how close our walk is with God, should still be learning. We should still be challenged. Even whenever, even when the preacher's rubbish, we should still be challenged. We should still be seeking to deepen our relationship with Jesus. Every one of us. And through him, our relationship with his Father. Our Heavenly Father. As I said, tonight we read from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, page 277, if you're following on one of the congregation Bibles, and we're going to take it right through to the end of chapter 8. Let's read God's Word. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abjah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, Ramah, and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, and I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. 
So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his his thousands and captains over his fifties will set some to ply his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. Amen. May ask God's blessing on this is holy word. If you want to follow us and speaking, please keep your Bible open. I, I, I wonder how many of you have ever been hurt by someone or by a group of individuals. People saying things, doing things behind your back. And you knew they did it just to promote themselves. No matter what it meant to you, you you didn't count. Or let me put it this way. Have you ever been attacked, mistreated, snubbed, shunned by people who you have served most of your life? Well, that's what happened, verse 4 tells us, to Samuel. Over the past four weeks, we have been reminded that Samuel had been a prophet of God since a young man. His mom had brought him into the temple and handed it over to God. He had been raised in the home of Eli, who sadly was not a godly priest, and whose sons, serving in the tabernacle, were seen by God as wicked men. And yet in Samuel's calling on that first time that he received a prophecy, it was a difficult prophecy. It was one to tell Eli that his entire family was going to be punished, wiped out, 
because of their sins. And we saw that happen two weeks ago, chapter 4. The Philistines captured the ark. Eli's sons were killed. Eli collapsed and died. And so from a toddler handed back to God, Samuel was destined to be the Lord's special servant, his prophet, his representative judge, the leader of God's special people. And faithfully, for all of his life, Samuel served. And now we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And here we find trouble. And things get personal. They get very personal. First they get personal for Samuel. As the years roll on, first one tells us, Samuel appoints his two sons, Joel and Ajah. And he appoints them to serve and to assist him in Bathsheba. And verse 2 tells us, that sadly these two guys turn away from their upbringing. They turn away from God. They're involved in accepting bribes. And you know, at first reading, it sounds very much like a repeat of what happened to Eli. But there is a difference. You see, unlike Eli, I don't think Samuel failed his boys. They failed him. Notice verse 3. Verse 3 says, They, Samuel's sons, did not walk in his ways. You see, Samuel was still honoring God. He was honoring him in his behavior, in his actions. And I think these lads looked at their old dad and they saw a man who hadn't taken advantage of the financial opportunities. Hey, there's big money could be made in bending the rules. Just to suit the house better. And so essentially, their sinful behavior wasn't Samuel's fault. You know, there are many, if we're honest, and we keep it hidden behind our masks, and we're hurt, and we feel guilty, and we look at our children, and we think they have turned away from their upbringing, from their faith, they've turned away from God, and we despair. And we wonder, what did we do wrong? What should we have done differently? Well, here we see Samuel, the most faithful man from childhood we'll find apart from Jesus Christ and he's faced with the same situation that we wrestle with. And his response was just to keep walking faithfully with his Lord continually. And I suspect he kept praying for his lads. You see, as we move forward, I think the Equality Commission would have a field day here. They would. At face value, here's a case of ageism. What's it say? It came in, they says, you are old. 
Hey, if that's not ageism, what is? All the elders of Israel, they gather at Samuel's door, verse 4 tells us, and they tell him, we want you out, old man. Your judgment is off. And we don't want all that old judge system anymore. We want a king like all the other nations. Friends, I, I, I don't see any compromise here. I don't see any love here. I don't see any seeking how Samuel feels. I, I don't see any appreciation of all that he has done for Israel. And you know something? I would suggest that long before they ever found the courage to face him, there was probably a lot of nasty whispers going on. Samuel probably heard most of it long before the delegation arrived at his door. And every one of those whispers, every one of those things they said hurt. I'm sure they hurt a lot. They were facing him now. They were saying to him, we don't want you. We don't care about you. That's what they're saying. And you know, when that happens, it's kind of hard not to take up personally. Samuel had served God. He had served Israel faithfully for a number of years. He has led the nation to victory over the Philistines. He has overseen a time of peace with the surrounding nations. He has seen them bring back the land that the Philistines had stolen from them. And now after all that time of faithful service, they want to dump him. And they want to dump all he stands for. Friends, I wonder, how would we have handled a slap in the face? A kick in the gut? Rejection after so many years. Our first hymn. And no, Michael, I didn't plan what it, we were going to sing and what I was going to talk about. God did. Man of sorrows. Psalm 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. I wonder would we have been like that? Samuel didn't respond to their abuse. He didn't get involved in a tit-for-tat slangy match. Instead, in chapter 12, verse 23, it tells us he's basically saying, you don't want me. And yet, guess what? I'm still going to pray for you. I'm still going to care for you. And if you're doing something that will hurt you, I will warn you. Hey, if we were on the receiving end, would we do that? Saddened and displeased, verse 6 tells us that Samuel goes to God and he prays. And maybe the Equality Commission isn't the way forward. Because if we last at those, if we look at those last four words in verse five, I want to scream. We want to be like everybody else. 
We no longer want to be different. You know, today there's lots of people that say, we do want to be different. We want to be bigger than everybody else. I'm sorry, but no, that's not different. It's the same greed that we see going right through the world. But I wonder what we want to do to fit in. I'm going to have a few raw nerves here. I'm not going to hit them. I'm going to kick them hard. Um, Do we want to be like other charities that are controlled by the government? In case people don't realize, churches are made now they are tied to the Charity Commission. And we do that, why? So that we can get some financial benefits. Where's our trust? Or, Or do we want to build a church empire with elders who are really business directors? Whenever they should be pastors, shepherds within Christ's church. Or maybe like Israel, we, we just want to tone down the God bit and increase the us bit. Things got personal for Samuel. And in reality, they were also personal for God. You see, when Samuel talks to God, the response is verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. Don't take it personally. It isn't about you. It is me they're rejecting, God says. You see, remember, the Israelites hadn't elected Samuel. He had been the leader of Israel because God had chosen him. God had put him in that position. And therefore, any rejection of Samuel was a rejection of God. It was a rejection of God's leadership. As we read on through chapters 10 to 12, we probably see the real reason why they wanted a king. It wasn't just that Samuel was old. It wasn't just that his sons were crooks. You see, everything was peaceful. It was quiet. God looked after them well, and yet we see as we read through, for the first time in a long time, they're about to face a real physical threat. The Haishandi Amorite army is gathering on the border. They're going to invade. And their response of Israel is, we want a physical king. It sort of takes me back to first verse of chapter 4. Tells us about Samuel and his word to all of Israel. And yet come war, off they go on their own. And you see, some of us will say, even this wasn't an outright complete rejection of God. All they really wanted was a tangible, visible substitute. No, sorry. What they're saying is the real God wasn't enough. It's like Jesus died on the cross and he says it's finished. And we say, no, that's not enough. We have to do things. We have to be this. We have got to be that. We've got... No, sorry. 
Salvation was done in his death. We can't say God doesn't do enough. And yet as we read through the Old Testament, we discover time and time again the children of Israel are, when things are going well, they forget who it is is really looking after them. And slowly they slide away so that they can blend in with the other nations. Friends, if we're totally honest, is this much different to how we act sometimes? You know, we really do have a, a tendency to look for practical solutions to the problems that we have. Rather than seek God, well, it's a wee thing. We can deal with that ourselves. And we can leave him out of things. We can become great fixers. We plan and we scheme and we think we have this sorted. And we can do things and be different. And yet, in all but name, all we're talking about is a personal rejection of God. And I wonder if he was standing in front of us now, would we hear him say, Hey guys, what about me? Don't you trust me? The next time we have a decision to make and we don't spend time in prayer, I wonder what we hear him saying, don't you trust me? You see, friends, we live in a society that is increasingly promoting me, me, me. I, I, I. And as members of the church of Jesus Christ, because that's the church we should belong to. We should be standing out from the crowd. We should be promoting Jesus. We should be promoting the kingdom of heaven in how we act and in what we do. Uh, let me ask you. How many here tonight would claim to be believing, following disciples of Jesus? Okay, you know, he's bought you. He's commissioned you. He has employed you as his servant. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And therefore, when people attack you, when they hate you, when they curse you, when they mistreat you for faithfully living for him, You don't need to hit back. We're back to Isaiah 53. Because you need to remember that your king has come. Your king will come back again. And he does that so that you and me, us, his people, can be faithfully and confidently serving. Every day, In every way. Why? Because we are his. It isn't about you. It isn't about me. Not anymore. It's about God. Let me ask you. 
Do you see yourself as someone who is earthly based with a heavenly destination? Or do you see yourself as someone who is heavenly based with an earthly mission? Think about it. If we're totally honest, we live as though we were earthly based and we're going to heaven. And the day we were saved, we became aliens to this world. This world is not our own. So we should be heavenly based and we're still here on a mission. It's about God. It's personal for God. And God essentially tells Samuel and he tells us, don't you take it personally. And then he gives Samuel a job to do. Verse 9, he says, go back and give them this message. And it's a message from me. Let them know what the king who will reign over them will be really like. And now, it's no longer personal for Samuel. It's no longer personal for God. It's personal for Israel. Samuel does that. And if we read on through chapter 12, he does it again. He warns them. He pleads with them. He spells out the cost of appointing an earthly king to replace their heavenly king. And verse 19 tells us they don't want to know. They refuse to listen. And many parents here, don't want to see hands, have said to a child, you know, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. And they go and do it. And then they come back and say, Do we say, well, I told you so. Clap it in, Or do we just throw arms around them? You see, these people refuse to hear the word of God spoken Samuel. And the more he reasons with them, the harder their heart becomes in that one desire to have their king. Remember that scream? I pointed out earlier, verse 5. It's also in verse 20. You see, that deep down feeling was they just wanted to be like other nations. These people have been called to follow God. They've been called to have God as their leader. They've been called to be different for him. And they just want to be like everybody else. And despite Samuel's warnings, his protests, they've got it into their heads that they would be better off being like others. They've had enough of being different. And with a king, they'll fit in. They'll belong. They'll be accepted. And yet, in making this call to be like other nations, they've forgotten, they've ignored one big, big difference. One big, big point. Their very reason for their existence was to be different. That's why they're there. They were called, they were people called by God for God. 
They were called by God so that through them his glory, his love, his mercy, his grace, his power would be displayed to the nations around. They were never meant ever to be the same. And yet there's a bit of this in most of us too, isn't there? We, we all want to be liked. We want to be accepted. And we've already gone over it. The living in a world and culture that is anti-God, it makes it hard for us to stand up for God and to be liked. So we've got to compromise. You see, the truth is that like the Israelites, we have been called to be different. We've been called to be God-serving, not man or self-serving. Friends, in November there's going to be a big event in America. In January, the winner of that big event in November is going to be crowned one of the most powerful people, if not the most powerful people in the world. I dread it. And yet if we look back over the 20th century, we see many countries where the people aren't happy with the status quo. They rebel against their current leadership. It still goes on throughout the world. And yet in most of the cases that meant they were putting in, they were installing the supreme leader. A person who really by their actions claimed to be their substitute God. How many of those yet do you recognize? You see, each of these eight individuals were initially seen as a better alternative to what the people had. They were seen to be just what the people needed. And between them, nearly 150 million innocents were slaughtered or butchered. 150 million. All signs of opposition were violently removed. And in all but two of those countries, it was punishable by death to claim that Jesus was Lord. And we say, yeah, but I'm sure. Look, hey, we will never elect someone like these guys. We would never reject God. Let me ask you, can anybody tell me, and I'm sure there are a few, do we seriously consider the faith of those we vote for? Or do we not vote because we think there's nobody there worth it? That's cop out. Where do we stand when our government passes laws that are against the word of God? Somebody said that's the most time whenever most individuals are quiet. Do we protest? Do we write letters? Do we sign petitions? Are we prepared to do something active? And personally, if we're totally honest, we do have a tendency to dictate to God the answers we should get back whenever we ask for his help. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that means, God, I don't want to go there. I would rather go over here. This year, the queen, the sovereign of the country we live in, turned 90. She has served as queen for over 60 years. And a booklet was brought out that said, The servant queen and the king she serves. You know, I don't care whether you're a royalist or a republican. I want to read something. Six months before her coronation, Elizabeth asked the people of the United Kingdom and Commonwealth to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. I believe God's answered those prayers. In our house, three o'clock on Christmas morning or Christmas lunchtime, we've got to stop and we've got to watch a queen. I discovered a number of years back that they wanted to persuade her not to put a God spot in her speech. And she says, that's who I am. I wonder who is your king? Who is the sovereign of your life? Who do you serve? I want us just to stop and I want us to listen and hopefully it comes up to Dr. S.M. Lockridge and his declaration of who his king is. I wonder, do you know him? <laughs> My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of the 
righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. of Israel says we want a king and they already have one. The people of this world says we want a leader, we want kings, we want presidents. Whenever they could already have the king of kings. And I want to ask you, who do you serve? Who is your king? Let's pray. Sovereign of this world, King of kings, Lord of lords, forgive us whenever we put ourselves forward at times as the rulers of our lives. Forgive us whenever we think we know what's best. Forgive us whenever we make us over our lives. Forgive us when we think we need to and we can do something to make our salvation better, something to make our lives better than just trust you. Lord Jesus, tonight, cleanse us and fill us so that we call you our king and we continue to serve you.